I want to live my life as fully as possible and um, as richly as possible and vibrantly as possible because that's where my, that's how I feel um, I've given my all. Like I want to arrive, at, some people I think want to arrive at their grave in like the, the comfort zone is a well-lined coffin. And that's just not me. I want to come flying in with, with you know, tank on E, smoke rising and saying, wait, what a ride, what a ride, wow. You know, because if I were to die now, I have no regrets. I told everybody I loved them. I've spoken to people. You know, it's like, I'm clear. And that's really important. So I think having people yeah. being able to have conversations, even the difficult ones is important. Be all of who you are, because I think we all have a purpose here on Earth. If you believe in God or higher spirit and universe, whatever, we all have a purpose. And the more that we can fill that purpose, the further along we are as a world. And I think the better off we'll all be. Hey, everyone. How are you? Uh, now, I know I asked that question at the start of every show, but to be honest with you, I like asking that question. And I really hope that you're feeling great and cherishing every moment. So it's that time again when I unleash someone awesome into your eardrums. So turn up the volume and settle in for what's an awesome conversation with an awesome lady. It's so great to have you listening to the show. My guest today is Lynn Thomas, all the way from beautiful Boston in the USA. Lynn's the number one best-selling author and owner of Thomas Consulting and is most definitely at the top of her game. Lynn's a leading authority on change management and someone whose insight can literally change your life. But she's dynamic, she's got a huge amount of energy and is truly passionate about helping businesses and its people achieve huge success. Lynn is the guru of retention, be it staff or customers, and keep an ear out for her passion when she talks about retention in our conversation. In many ways, Lynn and I speak the same language and it was a huge honour to be in conversation with her. Lynn is unmatched in her authenticity, her joy and knowledge, but there is an inner steel to Lynn, a resiliency that's been tested many times and sometimes over heartbreaking situations. So this is me and Lynn Thomas, guru of change, retention and resiliency, talking about making a difference in people's lives and enabling people to become leaders of kindness and compassion in their business and their personal lives. This is a conversation about communication. It's about that word resiliency again and doing things that you love and not wasting a single moment. But ultimately, this is a conversation with a lady who trusts her intuition and believes that by doing the right things in life, you will get positive results. Okay, let's go. Okay, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, today's guest is Lynn Thomas, all the way from Massachusetts in the United States. Hi, Lynn. How are you? I'm great, Steve. How about yourself? I am absolutely fabulous, uh, as um, all Brits uh, would, would say, as per the TV show. I don't know whether you know it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely fabulous. fabulous. Yeah. Um, I've had my night. I've had my cup of tea. I'm raring to go. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. Absolutely. So, Lynn, um, you well, we were introduced by Justin Breen, weren't we? Who's like super connector, really great, uh, you know, really terrific uh, chap from uh, Chicago. Um, and I can't say you know, highly enough how excited I am to have you on the show, because actually reading your bio and, and everything that you sent over to me, it was really inspirational. Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I think um, the sort of things that you've done in your life, you've really crammed a lot in, haven't you? That's one way to look at it. I guess yeah, I, I, somebody said you live life big, Lynn, and it's like, well, that's just what I'm doing my life. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to, but I, I hear you. I hear you. I compare it to some other people. Possibly, I turned a lot in, but why not? It's yeah, uh, absolutely it's my life. So, and it's it's there to be lived, right? So, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, what, so your your kind of background. What what do you do at the moment? Um, I have my own consulting firm, and we help companies um, fundamentally around customer and employee loyalty and retention, help them keep the customers and employees longer, um, so they don't have to replace them, which is very expensive, as we all know. And what's really come up now with COVID, Steve, is that to attract and keep employees, it's really important to offer them especially developmental um, um, opportunities because none of us know two, five years from now, seven, or if we're going to be employable. And for the millennial, the Gen Zs, that's what they're most focused on. And if you're not offering opportunities to develop and to grow and upscale and get involved in different areas of the business, um, you know, and give them some purpose, give them, you know, they are 
they're the first generation really not to be as financially focused as previous generations, mm. uh, the millennials, and they're focused on purpose, making a difference, and having a balanced life. And if they don't feel their work is making a difference, um, they tend to look elsewhere. And that's true with the Gen Zs too. So since that's, I think about 60 to 70% of the um, uh, employees, um, they're the people that really focus and they have the most prized skills that they're very agile, they can pivot easily, very technically savvy, um, that they live, live, live a pretty balanced life. Mm. So um, very good qualities and, and very resilient. So moving into the future, those are the probably the employees most companies um, are wanting and they're very good at deciding if what you offer them works and if it doesn't, they're happy to walk. Yeah, absolutely. I think with COVID as well, it's highlighted the fact that people working from home are quite, that you know, if you if you want to work from home, you can. And some people are actually really thriving from that environment, aren't they? Yes. How do you, what are your thoughts about, you know, the, the people that actually don't like working from home too much? People like me, right? Mm-hmm. They they thrive on the atmosphere in an office and they like the the bounce back from conversations with people face to face. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's imperative that companies... Um, offer some hybrid uh, because people like you and me, and I'm totally in your camp, I'm more extroverted. I love going into companies and just you know, saying hi to the person in the lobby or the security guard and then mm. um, in the cafeteria. And I don't know when they open back up if they'll be back. And so there's some losses there too. But I think you have to give people reasons to come back. And those are mostly social and interaction. So if it's two days a week, let's say you want people in the office, um, have them be around um, collaboration, brainstorming, getting to know each other mm. um, better and asking real genuine questions like, how is COVID for you? And mm. not just say fine, because COVID was not fine for anybody. Um, it's, you know, what worked, what didn't work, how did you take care of yourself, what impact it having on how you work. Um, you know, people learned a lot from COVID that they're probably undervalued and underpaid. Um, there's a study of um, 68% of high-tech People working remotely for $30,000 increase in the United States, they would not return to five days, full day, full time in the office. 30,000. So I don't know what it is, but 30,000 didn't move them. And um, I do think there are certain types of people, more than salespeople, maybe customer service people who tend to be more um, interactive with people to have them definitely come in the office. But I think everybody needs to, at some point, I don't know the frequency. And I think to be very flexible around that and make Mm. a series of decisions yeah. Um, there was um, somebody I spoke to the other day who said a friend of his running a high tech firm. He, he had three floors. And on the first floor, he totally changed it and put sofas. And he put very um, glass uh, tables that people could pull up if they wanted to work or talk. And he was noticing people who he didn't think were coming in. So they wouldn't be interested were coming in because people were talking about how much fun they were having there. And productivity has been, and this has only been two months, but productivity has really taken off because people are connecting. And and talking, you know, we talked. You mentioned a little bit about social capital, and um, it was a concept I was familiar with, but not as much as I am now. And what's been said that all companies have lost by going remote is the social capital, and what that's usually defined as is the ability for anybody to get their job done. So, if you and I were working in a company, and let's say you were in charge of IT, mm-hmm. and I had a problem my my um, my IT, I could call you. Now, if we're working remotely, I may feel good calling you, but if I haven't talk, talked to you in two or three months, I may feel like, I don't know if I want to bother Steve, you know, and, and those, those relationships tend to dwindle or have dwindled over COVID. So who you're connected with and how deeply your connections are um, indicates how much social capital you have. And the more social capital, the more quickly you get things done because people can help you in the organization. And those tend to be people we don't deal with on a regular basis, but we see them, in, you know, in very d- different areas of it's, you know, in the cafeteria or if it's in the uh, lunchroom or by the water cooler or just in the parking lot or wherever. But those are real relationships and they do make a difference. And a lot of innovation comes from social capital, you know, ideas and people just sort of throw like, like, I've got this problem. Can I run it by you? And they're in a total different department. And they'll come up with something. Wow, that's a great idea. I never thought of it from that perspective. And mm. I think when people give us our different perspectives, and I think that just happened more easily when we were all in the office and um, then, it, then it does remotely. Do you think that there is a, a certain element of the fact that sometimes if you're using Teams and you're messaging people, 
rather than speaking to people. The the message gets lost and actually and, and, and does very often get misinterpreted. And I wondered, you know, what your thoughts on that and, and how can companies get around that moving forward? My rule of thumb for me and for anybody that works for me or with me is if we send three emails and it's not resolved, pick up the phone because, you know, there's, there's an old saying that it's what 70% work communication is 7% words, 39 voice and tone, and the rest is body language. So email is just words. Mm -hmm. So if I'm upset with somebody, um, I'm going to hear them in that tone speaking to me through the email. Now they, you know, it's my upsetness, but they may be totally fine. So I'm not, I'm missing out on 90, 93% of how we normally communicate. So messaging is, you know, I think if it can be, it's like name, name, rank, and serial number. You know, facts. You know, a meeting at this time, this is the agenda. That's what's perfect. Very efficient, very effective. When you get into anything that has any tinge of emotion, any tinge of feeling, or any tinge of evaluation or criticism or anything like that, do that on the phone if you're remote. But the best is person in person mm-hmm. because that's there's so much more that's communicated and um I don't think people appreciate, some people just like to do that because um, like to send emails because they feel most comfortable. Like somebody mm-hmm. said, I can't think on my feet as quickly as you. And it's like, well, you can say to somebody, you know, um, can I get back to you on that? Give me a few minutes and I'll stop by or give me an hour. Or I'll talk tomorrow. You know, don't be, don't be afraid to say, you know, this is not the best time or I'm not great. I had somebody say, you know, I'm really good. I can really um, convey much more in an email than I can in person. It's like, that's great. And if someone also wants to do the in-person, how can we balance that? Yeah. So I think, I think it can be, I think the phone is a great um, mechanism to communicate. And I think most conversations, I can get much more done uh, speaking to somebody for five minutes than sending an email for five minutes. So, well, I, uh, yeah, you and I are a bit old school with that sort of stuff. And this yeah. is quite interesting. This is, this is a, a bit of a, a hot subject for me because I really, I really, I've got two girls, two daughters. Okay. They're 21 and 17. I really encourage them to deal with things either face to face or over the phone. You know, it, you can, you can send Snapchat messages all you like. You can send emails, you can do that, but actually nothing beats. If you need something doing phoning them up and dealing with it there and then. Right. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm telling them that, you know, actually, that is a great this is the best philosophy because you are going to be stand you're going to stand head and shoulders above a lot of other people who are hesitant to phone people or speak to people face to face not confrontationally but you know generally uh, because they've grown up and my two are you know guilty of this as well you know grown up with you know apps and things and messaging and they're not really communication is all via technology rather than using their tongue if you know what i mean so i'm just thinking uh, what you know what you are incredibly insightful with this kind of thing so i just wondered where you fear where you see the generation z or z as you said where are they going with all of this what's going to happen and and um, how is that going to have an effect on on business and work and the workplace I think it's going to be massive. And then you throw in COVID and the social emotional skills that um, a lot of kids lost over this past 18 months, being out of school and not being able to see some of their friends. So I think the advice you're giving your daughter, which is what I daughters and what I give my daughter, um, she doesn't follow it mostly, but um, that face-to-face is the most powerful way you can get a point across. And when you're standing with people, they get the whole communication of what you're saying. And there's no way that I have found that can be replicated, even on a video, or we're speaking out of this podcast, but seeing mm-hmm. each other, that there's a slight delay be- between what I say and what you hear, vice versa. So what I've read, and I believe to be true, is that we are really um, Zoom fatigue, because our brain is used to, when I see you, I'm used to seeing you in person. And when that exact time that we communicate, my brain's picking up all the micro expressions and same with yours so the fact that they come in a little delayed and mine that our brains are like this is not quite the way it's supposed to be but i think he said this so they it's like they're new ways the brain's having to think which produces fatigue because it's different so i think this is you know i can't wait for people to get back to some degree of face-to-face because 
I, I cringe at people giving bad news or negative news or just, you know, performance reviews over Zoom or performance reviews or anything like that in the evaluations, not in person. And I know some companies go 100% remote and I hope they have different strategies to, to handle the, the stuff that I think as human beings we deserve to see and to talk to somebody as, as, as people. And I also think the communications, they say, with sales are taking much longer. And I think the messages to get across, let's say two or three meetings, you were able to accomplish something. Yeah. And that was, your, that was your, your sales cycle. It's now taking five to six meetings yeah. over Zoom yeah. because they're not getting the whole picture. And there may be some types of businesses that thrive on that. I'd say if it has anything to do with people, which most aspects of business do, and you have to convince a person or um, management team, mm. much better, much better in person. And even if you stay social distance, you know, ends of conference room, mm. you know, and have a fan going or open the windows or whatever, I'm fine, any of that. But I want you to see the people. I want you to see the whole, you know, we want to interact with human beings, mm. not human doings. So human beings mm. and for us to be in front and with each other when we're making important decisions, I think helps us pick up all the nuances that we're used to picking up. Yeah. And absolutely. at Generation Z, I I know like my daughter doesn't, uh, her executive director is not going to hear this, but doesn't like her executive director where she's at a, a preschool. And because she said she's really harsh mom and she criticizes people and she fires people for no, per- no reason. And I could have a lot of advice of how to handle that, but she's just there for another couple of months before she goes back to college. But even though she's in person, she still is sharp. People are afraid of her. Um, and, you know, that a lot of people quit. A lot of people are fired. It doesn't surprise me. And I'm just saying, you know, she's not using um, the in-person that she has with everybody to the advantage to asking, so why did you come in two days late as opposed to you're fired? So, yeah. um Oh yeah, so, I know what so you mean. I, there are some bad, there are some very bad examples of leadership out there. I think I'm trying to segue that into um, moving sort of slightly backwards, really, because obviously COVID is very much here and now, and uh, you know you're doing some exceptional work, and that's great. And actually, I'd really love to explore that a little bit um, uh, in in the podcast. But what I'd love to love to learn a little bit more about is your your backstory, your family background, and things. And I'd really just for the listeners' point point of view, just to add some sort of context to. Sure. You know, who who Lynn Thomas is and, and, and the um, the influences, you know, that you've had throughout your life that there's, there's had a, a, you know, really amazingly positive effect on on how you uh, how you view your life. And I know that um, your family uh, moved to the United States from Greece. Well, it was, it was my my paternal grandparents that came over from Greece. So um, my father was the first born first generation Greek. So I would say my my parents were just. They weren't saints, but they were really great parents. They were really a great couple. They had date night before it was date night. Went out of 30 years every Saturday with um, my father's um, first cousin and his wife. So, I mean, it was like Saturday night was their night. And Sunday night was our night that we went out. And we, we lived outside New York City. So we loved different cuisines and food. And we would travel two hours each way to go to a new restaurant. So um, the attitude was try it. You'll like it. So um, what I got from my my dad was when he would come home from work, he would be full of energy and full of stories and full of fun. And I was 13 before I really realized that most people don't like their jobs. Not only don't like them, but they're not they're not just not having fun, but they don't like. Them. And um, so, what the belief I I have is work is fun mm. and it's challenging and it's fun and you have to work hard, but that's okay. But it it. It, it breathed life into my dad and I, the various different changes I've made in my career, I think was po- were possible a lot because if it's not fun and challenging, it's time to move on. You know, yeah. I want something that's challenging me intellectually, emotionally, psychologically, every, all aspects of me. Um, and for me to have to dig deep into myself to find answers, not like the uh, superficial truths. And if something wasn't fulfilling that. Um, but also for my, for my, both my parents, um, the importance of having people who support you, like my dad said, I would, I would not have uh, accomplished much of anything without your mother. And my mom, you know, raised us. She was, my father said, I think your mother and I were very well suited for our roles. My father loved working. He supported his mother since he was nine years old. His father died when he was very young and siblings. So he was out um, selling newspapers and working for a bookie. So that probably was making more money, but he could take, if a horse went off at five to four, 
and someone bet $250, he could tell you like that, what the payout was. Yeah. So, um, so he took the responsibility of um, supporting his mom's nine and really reveres, revered women. Um, if he was ever in a subway or a train or bus or anything, if there was any woman standing, even a little girl, he would get up and give a seat away. And he just feels that he feel he felt that women really keep the world together. Women really help families. And it's not that he was like doing anything. want to be pat on the back. This is just who he was. And so um, for vis-a-vis work, it's, um, I started my, my career as a tax attorney with Arthur Anderson, um, and I got really valuable feedback there. People said, yeah, you're a little more gregarious than most of us, and you're comfortable speaking in front of a room, and we're not. And I didn't really hear those Steve as negative, no. um, but I heard him as different. And I, I deduced that I really, I was also, I was very eager to meet clients, and most of my other colleagues at my level were not. And I was like, you know, I have to stay another five to seven years before I'd make partner. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's that's really not going to work. So I left. I went to Bank of Boston, private banker, which I really loved. But I was able to, in a relatively short period of time, size up. There's basically five different types of clients. And I could figure out what they need in about five to ten minutes. And um, then I moved on. And I was part of a change agent of a division, 1,800-person division. And um, the 1,800 people, two people had heart attacks from the stress of going through this they used to call it reorganization, which was another word for really laying off people. And uh, one person died, one person was out on disability. So I came up with what I thought was a great idea of why don't we teach people people about stress? And this was when sort of stress was still a little new agey, you know, you don't really talk about it. So I went in all excited and um, I talked them down. I think they were asking like 1,300, I'm down to 500. And I went in and I talked to the gentleman who was head of um, this project and I said, you know, for $500 to come in here and educate everybody about stress. And he said, no. And I said, no, no, it's not 500 for everybody. And he said, no. And I said, I'll pay it. And he said, no. And I turned around and walked out of that office. And like my the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. It's like, I do not want to work for an organization that really, really does not care at all about its employees. And isn't even allowed me to pay $500. Like they just don't care. I mean, that's just bottom line. And I resigned the next day and I became passionate. Well, I, I just decided I'm going to figure out a way that companies can win, employees can win, and, and customers, clients can win. Mm. Because there's a lot out there and it's not that hard to do. Um, it's a lot why I got into client retention because the numbers behind client retention are really powerful. That client retention goes up in an organization by just 5%. The profits over two to three years will increase 25 to 95%. And that's from Harvard Business School, Earl Sasser and um, Frederick Reich Health and Bain Company back to 1990. Mm. And a friend of mine said, Lynn, if they do retention, it always works. And he used to work at Bain. He said, it will work. And most companies still like to go out and have sales, new clients, not, not ask for referrals. But one out of 20 new clients will become a client. One out of 10 former will come back. One out of six referred will become a client, and one out of four will buy new. But hey, let's go after that client we've never met before, and we'll rein him or her in. And like, yay for me! It's like yeah, that was so costly of time and energy and resources. And why don't we make it easy for us and just focus on our current clients, make them fiercely loyal, mm. so they'll bring their friends. And you know, I always always the twenty eighty rule, Steve, of just twenty percent of clients. In all organizations generate 80% of the revenue. And that 20% will also generate 80% of the referrals over the next five years, which is from the research we've done, can map, maps out perfectly. So the growth of any organization is really that 20%. And focusing on that 20%, asking them or having someone on the outside like me, um, asking them so they really tell you the truth, dig under their initial response and find out why they come, why they stay, why they leave, what do they really want? If they could change one thing about an or- my organization, what would it be? And not just what do you want to change? Because that's too open-ended. One thing the brain really focuses in. And a bunch of other questions. And I come back to them and say, if you do these three things, the percentage of your top clients will increase. Mm. And it works. It's just you need to be willing to ask. People say, well, they don't think of leaving. You know, nobody wakes up and says, I can't wait for my, you know, 
um, dry cleaners, where I get my car repaired to really mess up so I can spend the little amount of time I have to go out and replace them. If anything, we're hoping and praying nobody messes up. So, you know, if people leave, there's usually four to five negative incidents that happen. And if you're surprised that someone left, you're not in touch with your clients or your employees if you're surprised at all. And, you know, I think especially now with employees, many employees leave and they take the best clients. And, um, you know, I have have a client of mine who really illustrated beautifully that if you really care about your employees and having them be the best they can be, giving them best tools, the skills, the knowledge, they will create fierce loyal clients that will not leave. And this gentleman had a business where he said, it's not an option for a top client to leave. Just, they won't leave. It's just not an option. And they would test it. And he basically, they would not leave. And they didn't. And more clients came, more clients came. And he made more money per employee than anybody else in his industry, more per client than anybody else's industry. But he stayed focused on, I want the best employees. I'll give them whatever they need to be the best. I'll support them. I have their back always. And that always needs always. So that's, most don't have the chutzpah or the guts. It's not easy, um, but, you know, it's like, you look at why do clients leave or why do employees leave? 67 to 68% of clients leave any organization because someone exhibited indifference. Mm. You know, act like it was indifferent. I mean, when I go to the grocery store and someone checks me out, I'm lucky if they say have a nice day and it's, you know, it's in the evening. Then I would say have a nice evening. I mean, I don't really get if they care. You know, and so if if people are exhibiting indifference to your clients, they're not getting that their relationship, their connection, mm. that human bond between even the cash register um, person and, and myself, the cashier. There's something that's created in that moment, yeah. And if it's not there multiple times, they'll leave. And employees leave fifty six to sixty two percent because of the relationship with their boss. So, so if you basically just teach people to care. And I'm, it's not that easy, I guess, if they're not built that way, but you can. That solves a lot of problems. And it may sound simplistic, but, you know, I really think CEOs are now comforter, our chiefs, um, chief officers are comforting people yeah. because COVID has produced a lot of sadness and grief. And there's a lot to show that you really genuinely care. Mm. Yeah, caring is, is, is a really underused, um, you know, I say skill because actually – you know, to, to really, I guess you've got to really feel it in your, in your, in your stomach, haven't you, that you really want to, that you really care for people. And, um, you know, I've always been in sales all my life. Right. And, um, so I, I see the value in caring for my clients. I, I really do see that value, but that's not something that is, is I'm forcing, uh, you know, I'm not forcing that. That's something that I find that I'm, I'm actually pretty good at that, you know, and, and it's something that I enjoy and it it's fulfilling. And, but it is something that I guess, you know, and this reverts back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier in terms of the kids that are coming out of school now and going into jobs and stuff. You know, they've they've got to they've got to learn how to do this even more, haven't they? Or are they, or are they coming out of school? And because you were talking about the compassion and the social um, uh, the social uh, capital side of things and that they're looking for balance and they're looking to do things which have meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, but does that mean that they're, you know, coming out? more more caring and more thoughtful people great question um i think they're more in tune with the possible downsides in life because most of them have some of them the millennials lived through 9 11 hmm. at least over in the country this country and then the great recession so they're aware and and now what's going on bad things can happen so somehow i think they have they are more caring than prior generation just because their families maybe were impacted um, by those events or they were impacted depending on their age. Mm. Um, and they tend to be more socially oriented than I think other generations. The genuine caring, I think that comes from life. And it depends, I don't know, on, on families, how much families really cared about neighbors or you know, p- people in church or whatever, like about outside the family themselves, but outside of that. Mm. And depending on the events that happen in their life, you know, I, I think hard difficult times make people very resilient because resiliency is how fast you can be. You're always knocked down, but how fast you get up. Yeah. And, um, and I can say for myself, I've had my, my challenges, but the greatest one was when my younger sister was murdered maybe 31 years ago and um, it's not been resolved. And she was a person I um, 
connected with most on the planet and we had our futures plan. We were going to work together and all this. And it was um, devastating. It doesn't even start to talk about the impact. So for me to, to dig deep inside me and find compassion for myself of what was going through. And I also was part of a um, homicide group. And now I talk to a lot of people after a loved one of theirs has been murdered. And um, um, so I think that has helped me particularly to, I think, get all the um, dig deep inside me to get to answers and, and know they're not easy and simple. Yeah, they're no, our, the, the, the problems we have this day and age, they're, they're complicated. They're not easy answers. Um, and I just want to flip to something that ties into this from the standpoint that um, a friend of mine, Scott Jones, did invent voicemail. So he really did. And uh, I met him when I was just leaving Bank of Boston. So I worked for his company for a couple of years and learned some things from him. Um, I always say do two things uncomfortable every day because that's how you grow. And that's how we brought in our perspective because we all have um, confirmation bias. We all are limited in what we see. And I learned that in law school when you can have you know, generally you know, five people see an accident and they have five different versions and all telling the truth. It's like we have these very strong lenses that only let in through our reticular activating system in the back. Yeah. So what Scott would um, do is he does 10 things uncomfortable every day. He took that to another level. And about every two years, he has a new patent. And he also does something that I do about twice a week that he takes every day, he takes his most pressing problem, personal, professional, and he comes up with at least 20 solutions. And I say to him, why 20? And he said, well, then, you know, the first five or so everyone's going to come up with. That's nothing, you know, just five. The next ones are a little bit better, but they're not. They're not going to be the. They're not going to be a great solution. Yeah. So he pushes himself to twenty, and he says, "What happens around fifteen and sixteen, seventeen is you're taking a little bit of number three and number eight and eleven. You're combining them." And he said, "And the power of that." And I said to him, "You know what? I don't think anybody in my life, Scott, ever asked me for like multiple options." Mm. He said, "Well, yeah. Anybody that has one solution, they're dangerous, as far as I'm concerned, because mm. that's the old, you know, they have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, they hit it." So he comes up with twenty solutions. And I found such creativity inside of me. And that, that's where I go. When I don't know what to do, I force myself up to come up with 50. Yeah. And to any personal professional problem. And I will come up and dig deep in me. And I don't think our educational system forces us or even tells us there's this creativity or this wisdom or whatever you want to call it inside of us. That is great ideas, but sometimes you need to be patient. We need to um, feel deeply, think deeply. And trust what comes up and work with it and, mm-hmm. you know, offer that up. So um, that's been a way that I've, and I also I've got a lot of really wise, wonderful people um, in my life. And uh, so the resiliency is important and how fast you get up. And what I'd say is, you know, we all, the fruit was out on the branches. As someone said to me, you know, the, the skinny branches to so crawl out on the skinny branches. And yeah, sometimes they're going to break and you're going to fall. If there's a lesson to be learned, great. Take it in, be humble. You learned it. Wipe yourself off and climb back up the tree because that's where life happens. And you know, hugging. If you're hugging the tree, those people have like bark marks. You know, they're they're stressed out. They they're, they're not alive. I and mean, I look at most people and they they're, they're not smiling. They're you know, it's like most people are numb, especially with COVID. But you know, how do you become alive? How do you live vibrantly? How do you how do you enjoy what you do? And it's a passion. And keep digging inside you if you haven't found that or, or take up hobbies, do something different. Tom Peter said, you know, if you go to work the same way every day, you come home the same way, you eat dinner with the same people on the weekend, you do the same things. You don't try anything new. Where the heck are you supposed to get new ideas? Yeah. And at a point I was like, wow, never thought of that. Mm. And he said, I think in this country and probably in England too, you have the same white men. He said, went to the same business school, same professors, same textbooks. You're not getting new ideas. He goes, mess things up. Do them differently. Eat with the other hand. Wake up the other side of the bed. You know, take a, take a shower in the morning. If you take it at night, just, just do things differently. And he said, when I go to the airport, I pick up magazines I know nothing about. Most people pick up magazines they know something about. Yeah. So you just reinforce the same beliefs. Yeah. And so outside your industry is usually where the best ideas are that are called, oh, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. Oh, maybe. Oh, that's a great idea. That's yeah. the evolution of ideas. So I, I agree. I think that's fascinating. First of all, we both have uh, we both share a, a, a great admiration for Tom Peters. Um, but se- secondly, I'm just thinking, you know, actually putting in some disruptive 
behaviors and I'm, this is going to sound very simplistic right but putting in just that, that smallest simplistic um, disruptive behavior in your routine actually the, the ripple effect from that could could be very very positive and i'll give you an example because it was last year when things were going south a little bit from a from the, a travel perspective um you know here in the uk and worldwide you know so i i i had to do something different but um i started taking um having a shower but take but taking a cold shower now that's going to sound really weird and i'm not trying to you know freak anybody out but actually there's some really fan- amazing health benefits from it but also what it means is i was doing something different to what i'd normally do and it felt really good and and so on top of that also the and i think you can build those those disruptions in quite easily can't you if you just have a little bit of imagination and like you said following scott jones's uh, advice and saying right there's there's 20 solutions come up with I personally I'd find that really hard but I'm sure given practice I think I could probably get to it but what do you thought what do you, so do you, you how do you feel about disruptive behavior you know putting some disruptive behaviors into your routine it's disruptive but important you know it's it I mean it's neurolinguistic programming talks mm. about that too that if you have a habit and you want to interrupt that habit do something you know clap your hands if you're not going to normally do that or jump up I mean do something you don't normally do the habit will stop yeah. And then you can make a choice of what you want to do. You have at least a moment before the amygdala, the part of our brain that, you know, gives us the adrenaline and cortisol when a new pattern or when, when, when we do something new. Um, but I think disrupting is brilliant. Mm. And um, I mean, I, I actually, I don't think this, I'm trying to make COVID a really gift for all people that it disrupted almost every aspect of our lives. Yeah. And that's what I see as a positive is I think, People who want to, to see, okay, what did I learn positive about COVID, about self-care, about balance, about working from home, uh, and maybe missing things at work. So how mm. can I create a, a different life, mm. a better life for me, and combine those? And you don't have to, for me, you don't have to know what the answer is now. It's just have that open mind, mm. and maybe three months from now, you look back and you say, well, maybe I'll ask my boss if I can come in here three days a week as opposed to two. Mm. And um, I want to work when my kids come home at three, I want three to five. I don't want to have to work and I'm willing to work at night and yeah. see if that works. Like yeah. you might as well ask for, it. if you don't ask for it, it's probably not going to be given mm. is what I've learned, you know, mm. and also ask for hundred percent what you want. Cause chances are, if you only ask for 80, you may get 75 and you're not going to be real happy. So ask for hundred um, percent and be willing to hear no and then negotiate. But uh, I think the disruptive, I think it's brilliant. It's important that we have good habits and, as our habits make us, I think it's also important to realize that if we can disrupt our negative habits, that's the freedom to create more positive ones. Mm. And we we all have, you know, quote, negative habits that don't serve us, but we have deep neuronal pathways in our brain that we, mm. it's it said like seven, seven minutes a day, we have, we have actually new thoughts. Mm. I mean, like what's going on? We only use 2% of our brain in a given day, 5% we're really pumping the ions. I mean, we're not tapping into the potential. Now, some people say, no, we use more of our brain. Yeah, there's parts of our brain that unconsciously are happening, but consciously, you know, I could t- when I come up with 20 solutions or 50 solutions, I'm getting to places inside me that I don't touch re- regularly and I don't dig down regularly. Like they're unfamiliar and they're a little scary, but mm. they're just inside me. So why not? And ask other people for ideas. If you, don't, if you can't come up with 20, then ask other people. They can help you with the ideas, but there's something about making up life as opposed to life happening to you. Like, I don't believe we're victims. And even me with my sister being murdered, I don't think I'm a victim. I don't think that's a gift, but I can take from that um, a lot of resilience, a lot of knowing that, like with my father, nothing was taking my dad down. And he, they were poor. I mean, they moved from tenement to tenement every month because they didn't have rent. And there were six kids in a, and my grandmother never spoke English. So you know, and he never complained. You know, there's nothing to complain about. Like, no. what's the point of complaining? He said, just make up your mind and do it. So and what changed for your dad then? What ch- Obviously, his attitude never changed because I know that he, he, he did become very successful, didn't he? Yes. No, he, um, he, I think, I think being nine years old, taking on the responsibility of um, looking around and seeing that none of his other siblings who were all older, he was the youngest. Mm. were going to in a position I don't, I never talked in detail about it because he wasn't bragging about it. It was just a statement. Of course, I want to take care of um, my mother. Why wouldn't I? And um, I think it was, I know he, he had three mentors, three people who changed his life. My mother was one. 
uh, the gentleman who wound up working for who was wound up being a mentor. And the third one, he never told us. So that's sort of the mystery. Um, I'm thinking it's somebody he met who, you know, unconventional kind, who knows who was hanging on the mafia or something with, you know, gambling. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't in the mafia, but that, <laughs> he, worked with, he worked with bookies. Um, you know, he, he was actually, he got an offer a job from the mafia, 1942 for $250 a week at one half, 1% of his profits. So maybe this was the turning point. And he said to himself, everybody I knew was either in jail, dead or on the run. And I made a decision. I didn't want to live like that. Mm. So he wound up going to work for $25 a week. And that's when he met the man who became his mentor, who was an engineer. My dad was a great salesperson, big personality, loved people, great storyteller, joke teller. He would usually crack up at his jokes. We had to beg him to get to the, to the punchline because he'd be it's like, Dad, can you stop? He goes, it's just so funny. Wait, wait, I'll try, I'll try. And, and it was funny. And he was a really entertaining, funny guy. Yeah. Um, so I think that moment probably changed him. He realized, you know, and also in high school, there was an English teacher wanting to send him to college because he was really brilliant. He had a high IQ. He graduated like second in his class. He attended half of his classes. And he said, no, I've got to support my mother. And it wasn't like he never said, oh, I wish I could have gone to college. You know, they just wasn't. He's like, today's today. What's tomorrow? It's Mm -hmm. like, I guess deal with what you have control over. And he could control, help his mother. So he would do that and raise raise us, marry my mom, have a great marriage, raise good kids. You know, exposed us to all different cultures around the world. We traveled a lot, and like, try it. You'll like it. Try the salsa dance. And sure, take tango. Why not? You know, it just it was like try the food, try the culture, try the language. I mean, it was like I grew up. Life was fun. Yeah. You know, some people are like life was. It's like the life was alive. It was vibrant, and probably that is what's knowing that my father came from a background that had violence in it, and also, and now with my sister being murdered, it it definitely hit him really, really hard. But never complained. Just what, what, what can we do to find out who killed your sister? And to the day he died, he was still working on it and was never dissuaded from it. So he, no odds. Um, you know, it, it was, he would always say, well, you know, uh, we lived in a town where I'll just say there were a lot of one type of um, political party that dominated and another political party my father was involved with. And I'll say, dad, but 50 years, this other party's always dominating. He goes, Lynn, we got 10 more votes, votes than we did four years ago. And that was all. It was just like incremental. I mean, he, I guess that's it. He was, he, he knew if he kept doing what he knew was right. Yeah. That there would be positive change. And maybe yes. it wouldn't be like, for me, it's like for 10 more votes. No, I wouldn't go house to house for four years, you know, and he didn't do it often. I and mean, he would do it, you know, two months before the election, but that was enough. Like Lynn, I made progress. Things change. Yeah. He trusted you know, the he, process. Yes. He trusted the process. He trusted himself. Yeah. And he trusted life. Like yeah. Life would life would be well. Life would turn out good. And, and I can um, I can see that you you you've got his energy definitely. I can I can really I feel it. You know, and and also you're you're you've got that you have this incredible zest for life. And I think that's something that I think I know you mentioned it in your bio, and I know that your dad had that. But I can really I can really see that, and it's amazing. I love that. You're very passionate about it. And I think, yeah, trust in the process is a good thing. But um, wow, what a great guy. And I think, so do you think that um, you've retained some of that that energy from your, your dad and, and you're using that, you've used that all throughout your career? Is that is that kind of how it works? And and what, you've been in business 30 years. So, you know, how, how, has, that, how has that changed? In what ways, what, what sort of things have you learned? And, and are you using some of those principles that were laid down, those foundations, you know, from an early age? Um. I would say, yes, it, it, I definitely did get that zest. My, my, my mom had a zest too, but hers was a quieter one. So when mom spoke, everybody listened, including my father, whatever she said, he never, when she said, boom, um, just like my father bought cars to my old, my younger sister, my older sister, and I, he bought one and I had to pay him back. And I said this in a car and I said, you know, I don't think that's fair. And my mother's head turned to my father driving and said, Lou, is that true? And he said, yeah, she goes, wipe it clean. She owes you nothing. Never discussed again. As my mom spoke, she's very fair, treated all the children equally. So and there's something, that quality to have been equal, you know, nepotism in business is, is not something that I um, uh, have ever seen a reason for. But um, in, my, it, in my business life, um, I've learned uh, trusting my gut. I did not trust my gut when I, well, I met this man, we became business partners on with another business um, and um, 
I trusted him. I had no negative feelings for the first couple of months because mm. he was in the midst of a divorce. I made a lot of excuses. Oh, it's because he's getting divorced. No, why not? He's just a mean person. Mm. And it cost me a quarter million dollars to get disentangled from him. So my gut told me for a few months, don't work with him, don't work with him. But I come back Monday morning, that was Friday, Monday, I'd say, you know, I give him a chance. It's like, no, after a while, and my, my dad would say, Lynn, listen to your gut, you know, and I, and I, and that's my quarter, that's my quarter million dollar lesson. You know, I was really wanting to give him the benefit. And there's a point when it's like, no, this is who he is. I had to see that for true. And I guess I didn't want to believe that I naively hooked up with somebody that was such a con artist. And, and it was a good one. You know, he's, he fooled a lot of people, not just me, but. Um, and I think I've learned reaching out to people. Um, like I do have a coach and I do have a mentor and I do, um, work with score. Um, I have a mentor there. So one thing I'd say to people, if you're starting your own business, bring more people on, if not officially working with you as advisors, um, sooner. Cause I think I would have made fewer mistakes. Mm. Um, and, and the most successful businesses, uh, always have a partner. I don't know about one person who ever did anything really great. Or maybe everything really, really even good. So, um, and my friend Scott, he had a business partner who did the sales. So, you know, it's um, a team effort usually is more effective and productive because four eyes are always better than two. Absolutely. I totally, totally agree with that. So would you say that um, purpose is critical? And I'm interested to know on, on two different levels, if you don't mind, is really from a business from a business level, and I'd love to know what your own sort of personal purpose is in life, and have you have you found it yet? Thanks. Um, I'd say it came from the moment I walked out of Bank of Boston. It's like I didn't want to be part of that, and I wanted to find ways where companies, employees, and customers can really win. It wound up being translated mm. through the market research that we did around about caring in a general sense. How that how that is demonstrated says a lot, but um, um, to really care. So for me, you know, there was one gentleman uh, recently I was working with part of a management team and he was um, the young, youngest person in the management team. And he was also their compliance person and their attorney. And uh, it was a company that the SEC would be looking at. So, um, and he was quieter than I think was wise to be in a management meeting. So when we did the coaching, I would share with him and I'll just call him Harry and said, you know, Harry, you know, you say you have this doubt about what they're doing but you're afraid of talking because joe always talks over you and whatever you know you can't play small everyone loses when you play small and what you're telling me are things they need to know about and that's your job and i know you're the youngest here i know you're you know the other ones have been here for you know 15 20 years but speak up and if you want to role play with me i'll be obnoxious like joe is sometimes and joe's obnoxious so what he does that to everybody it's not it's not about you he wants to be heard so you can just say, Joe, stop for a moment, please. Let me speak. I'll demonstrate in the next meeting. I'll stop Joe in the middle and show you. He will stop. And there's many other ways that you can be effective like that. So I want you to speak up. That's part of your job. And I think it's part of your um, what you have to offer. And he started to. And he diverted them from two decisions that would have cost them significant money. And he said to me, you know, you help me do that, Lynn. And I don't know if I would have done that because, you know, we always need a cheerleader. We need someone to really believe in us if we don't believe in ourselves. And it's hard when you come into, it's hard, it was hard for me to come into this company with so many senior people. It's been so successful so long. I didn't think I really had much to contribute, but I can see I do now. And I'd say to everybody there, you know, anybody who's playing small in your life, like, well, I shouldn't speak up because so-and-so is going to put me down or they're going to kill my ideas. So what? Just speak up. You know, it's imperative. We're big. Like, being big is not like rolling over people. Being big is being fully who you are, not pushing any of you down. It's like, I think there's so many people, there's parts of us, Steve, we don't want to show. So it's almost like a beach ball. We have to keep pushing down. And so you lose a lot of energy because you're trying to hide this or that, or you don't want this to come up rather than like, this is who I am, you know, take me or leave me. But it's like, this is who I am. And this is where I can deliver men's value. And if you're blinded by certain situations, you're not handle them or difficult conversations or you don't know how to show people you really care. You don't know how to ask. You know, those are things like somebody said to me, Lynn, you can tell anybody anything and make it sound nice. And I said, yeah. You know, my father was critical. One part of him, he was critical. And it would sting. What I learned from that is I learned how to tell anybody anything and be, make it sound really nice and kind. Mm. And 
that's a gift because people will call me from past jobs and say, you said we could call you anytime. And it's like, that's like three years ago. Sure. And I mean it. Um, and I'd say, well, try this and call me back and let me know. And uh, because we're not taught. I mean, where do, you, where do you learn to have those really difficult conversations? And most of us, we saw difficult conversations. They were people yelling, you know, in homes or businesses. And, you know, how do you, how do you tell somebody that, you can see the truth, Steve, I think is, if I really care about my relationship with somebody, you know, if it's my daughter or my partner or a friend or a relative, I'm going to tell them what's really true in the kindest way. Because if not, I'm BSing them. You know, I'm just like, oh, it's a little fake, fake face, you know, everything's fine and dandy. It's like, life's too short. I mean, my, my sister was murdered when she was 32. You know, it's like, that can happen to any of us. So I want to live my life as fully as possible and um, as richly as possible and vibrantly as possible because that's where my, that's how I feel um, I've given my all. Like I want to arrive, at, some people I think want to arrive at the grave in like, the, the comfort zone is a well-lined coffin. And that's just not me. I want to come flying in with, with you know, the tank on E, smoke rising and saying, wait, what a ride. What a ride. Wow. You know, because if I were to die now, I have no regrets. I told everybody I loved them. I've spoken to people. You know, it's like I'm clear. And that's really important. So I think having people yeah. being able to have conversations, even the difficult ones, is important. If you want to role play with people, do that. But um, be all of who you are, because I think we all have a purpose here on Earth. If you believe in God or higher spirit or universe, whatever, we all have a purpose. And the more that we can fill that purpose, the further along we are as a world. And I think the better off we'll all be. Absolutely. So what are your goals for the future then, Lynn? Um, <clears throat> always to challenge myself to find more gems inside me, because um, I have lots of gems. and. Um, uh, that aspect to uh, there's two people I'm working with that coaching um, to be able to do some of the work I do. So to expand the business more and be able to take on more um, clients because mm. um, I'm probably at one and a quarter capacity and I'd like, which I probably will in a short period of time, uh, um, uh, one person will be uh, able to come up and maybe partnering with different people, collaborating. I mean, I'm open in many different ways, how my, skills and services and insights um, can can be utilized because you know I I want my wish for people is that they most of the time you're enjoying your life you're happy you feel cherished and you feel like you have you 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 matter mm. you know you matter you're making a difference in the world that was actually that's another thing we learned from my parents that it was up to us to serve the world, to make a difference in the world. We were privileged in many ways and definitely to give back. So I feel like my work is of service and I'm delighted to do what I do. So no, um, I, I agree. I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I feel I personally feel that I am the best that I can be if I'm in service to other people. And it's mm -hmm. a very, you know, some people might not connect with that. But for me personally, it's, it's it, it makes my heart sing every time I do something for some people. It really does. I want to talk about optimism. Obviously, it would be remiss of me not to ask about <laughs> optimism because you're on the Traveling Optimist podcast. But, yes, you know, optimism means different things to different people. And I, want, I wondered if you could sort of kind of describe optimism to me from your, from your point of view. And I'd love to know what it means to you. Um, I think it's uh, perspective. And I can go to the glass half empty or half full. Um, and if I see something half empty, I will challenge myself to see it half full or well, what other perspectives? Who am I not getting the perspective from? Who am I not listening to? Who could I ask to say what's something wonderful that may come from this situation? Because um, there's always, I mean, I, in some ways I think we're all diamonds in the rough when we're born mm. and it's only by having those hardships and rubbing against like diamonds and then the friction, sometimes the harder the friction, like my father went through a lot of hard times. And I think that's what made him shine because he either was going to, you know, go out if he went one route or thrive with the other route. And there was no guarantee he was going to thrive, but he knew his odds going the other way were not good. So I think my, history has shown me that there's always good coming. It may not look the way I wanted to. It may not sound the way I wanted to. But it's always coming my way. And it's my job to see it. Mm. I mean, that's the optimist. It's my job to look for it. Mm. And I know the multiple perspectives 
You know, that's why I encourage people in businesses, everybody around the table, make sure everybody speaks and you listen to everybody because the introverts sometimes have the best ideas. It's been revealed than us extroverts who dominate. And sometimes we need to be told to just be quiet and listen and um, really listening to all perspectives because that will enlarge. And if you're willing to see um, that the glass, I think always is probably three quarters full. It just may not be the glass you think you want. No, absolutely. Oh, that's so cool. That's a really nice way of putting it, actually. Like I said, there's, you know, there's various ways that you could look at optimism and, um, and, and uh, you know, that, that sort of proverbial light at the end of the tunnel and, um, and the hope. Um, just to end, I wondered if you could answer this one question. What, what one question would you advise the listeners of the show to ask themselves tomorrow morning when they wake up uh, the reason i asked that question is because i think actually in the last year what's what's been important to me is that actually i've had to ask myself a lot of questions mm-hmm. a lot of important questions a lot of questions that actually i wasn't asking myself before and i should have been and you know it's something that my coach has been working with me over the last few years on and i just wondered you know what what was the one question that you would you would say is the most important um and this is just one that comes to mind now is how do you want to be tomorrow in your life? And I separate the human doing from the human being. And I think our being um, is really important. So how do you want to be in your life tomorrow? Not what do you want to do. The doing may reflect who you are. But who is it you want to show up as? How is it you want to be seen? And not ego-wise, but just contributing to the positive aspects of, of life you know it's like on my sister's grave it says she has a she had a soul large enough to feel the wrongs of others because she was one that was given back a lot and i think she would have loved that and obviously my family did because we put that on there and someone down in in um, charlotte is the one who came up with that so she always cared about others and um it's it's basically how do you want to show up and be tomorrow in your life and what are you willing to do to make it happen? Because if it were really easy, it's probably not a deep enough question, as you, as you said, I think. And then the introspection, the quietness, I have a lot more of that because of COVID, because COVID that's a gift COVID's given me. And I, I changed a lot of my life because of COVID. And the quieter and all, and the more, more how I be is more important um, than what I do in any given day. So, absolutely. That's the question. That's amazing, Lynn. I can't thank you enough. You're an you're an amazing person. I've I've thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I you know I I'm very conscious I've taken up enough of your time already, but I am so grateful for you to coming on the show and uh, and sharing your. Delighted to be here. Delighted oh. to be here. Truly. Oh, yes. Really. Great questions, by the way. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, How's thank you so much, uh, Lynn. Uh, you know, without COVID, we'd never have connected. And um, and just purely from that perspective, I'm so grateful. And, uh, you know, I, I wish you every success. Uh, we're going to stay in contact, I know. And, um, you know, and, and thank you so much for sharing your story and your, your insight and, um, and, and, and uplifting experiences. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Um, can I say how people can contact me? Absolutely. Yes, please. Is that, is that put on? Um, you go for it. I'll put it on the show notes as well, but absolutely okay. tell everybody how they can connect. Okay. So if you want to reach me, uh, email my name, Lynn, L-Y-N-N Thomas, at Thomas Consulting. And at the end is wins, W-I-N-S, because a client of mine says, I always win with you. So thomasconsultingwins.com. And then phone is United States if you're calling from uh, other uh, countries and then um, 781-899-4210. And um, I'd, I'd be delighted to ask any, you know, 15 minutes, any question at all on run something by me. Um, it'd be my pleasure. So awesome. thanks ever so much, Steve. Oh, that's a pleasure. And don't forget, I'll, I'll put your LinkedIn profile in there as well. And um, so people, there's there's every three or four ways that people can get in contact with you, Lynn. And I would highly recommend everybody do that. So thanks, Lynn. Really appreciate your time and um, uh, have a, a rest of a great rest of the week. And uh, we'll, we'll speak soon. I look forward to it. Same to you, Steve. 
Okay, how are you after listening to Lynn? I don't know about you, but I'm feeling energised and ready to embrace change with renewed vigour. Please do connect with Lynn. Uh, I'll put all her contact details in the show notes as well. Um, Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Um, If you'd like to support the podcast, the best and most impactful way you can do this is to subscribe to the show. Uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, even Amazon and Google now. Sharing the show with friends, family and colleagues is always greatly appreciated too. And I'm so grateful for your support. I really am. And I don't take it for granted. But I also know from comments I receive every week that it's making a difference. And that's the only reason I started it really. So take care, everybody. Choose optimism every day. And remember, try it. You'll like it.